Welcome to episode number 42 of the MMA Rundown Podcast. This is going to be a pretty short podcast. I only have five topics to talk about. We've got UFC 247, which is going to be headlined by two UFC title fights with John Jones and Valentina Shevchenko defending their titles. We've got what I hope is the final um, the final segment related to Stephen A. Smith and Joe Rogan and their, um, their, their issues with one another. I have a recap of the Iowa versus Penn State wrestling meet, which was a sellout. Uh, is a match between number one and number two in the country in college wrestling and went down to the final match uh, of the 10-match duel, so I'll recap that. We've got Kasai, which had a pretty pretty solid show um, just over the weekend. Uh, a lot of really good heavyweight competitors out there. Uh, I'll recap that event. And then um, last thing to talk about is going to be Bellator, who has been in, who has been in um, partner with DAZN for a little while now, and DAZN has also been working on boxing partnerships with some YouTube celebrities, including the Paul brothers. It looks as though there's interest in bringing them over to Bellator, so I'll talk about that as well. So, first thing to talk about is going to be UFC 247, and as I'm sure most of you know, the main event of this card is going to be John Jones versus Donald Reyes. As far as how I see this fight going, not entirely sure where I'm going to see Reyes winning this fight. Obviously, with it being light heavyweight, do you have guys who are really big, really tall, really strong? There, there's always that chance that anyone can land the one big shot and maybe win that way. Reyes has proven that he can knock guys out in the past, so I guess you can give him the puncher's chance, so to speak. But from a technical aspect, I don't know what I see Reyes doing here to be all that effective. I'd imagine that Jones is going to keep him at range with his kicks. Uh, Jones may be able to take him down. If he does, uh, that should be a big advantage for Jones as well. So from a technical standpoint, there may be some setups that Reyes can use to, to land some big shots. Maybe maybe he lands a huge shot that puts Jones down, but it, again, it, it, it seems like more likely than not, Jones is just going to be able to pick him apart. He's probably going to take a similar approach to what he did with Tiago Santos in terms of trying to stay at a distance using those leg kicks. Um, if he's able to be successful, he was with Santos where he's able to take out one knee and imagine he can do a similar thing again and then try to go for the good knee and sort of immobilize his opponent from there and then decide uh, how he wants to go about bringing it to the ground or just keeping it standing and just kind of picking, out, pick, picking at him without taking any big risks and getting caught. Um, but for me just have a hard time seeing a way for Dominic Reyes to win this fight. And so my pick is going to be John Jones. Now, granted, that's not a, a risky pick by any standard. If you're looking at the betting odds here, you're looking at minus 450, minus 450 for John Jones, plus 325 for Reyes. Jones has had odds that have put him as much bigger favorites against other fighters. My guess for why this fight is a little bit closer, maybe it's that Reyes is undefeated, even though that fight against Ozemir probably should have gone to Ozemir. Um, I, I guess also Reyes is some really nice knockouts to his name, including that, that one that he had against Chris Weidman, so I guess maybe people have that in the back of their mind, like, well, you know what, maybe he's got a decent chance here. But John Jones is the guy where I, I don't see anyone at 205 beating him right now. I don't know whether he's going to have to go to heavyweight and just start dealing with guys who have an even better puncher's chance, kind of like a Francis Ngannou or what the deal is going to be, but it seems like for him it's going to be a while until someone comes along that's going to be able to give him problems, and I just don't see Dominic Reyes being that guy. Next fight on the card is Valentina Shevchenko and Caitlin Chikagian. You would imagine that Shevchenko should have the advantage here, although this fight could be just incredibly boring for many reasons. Uh, first of which is that both of them tend to counter on the feet. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who actually is the one pressing forward and, and, and really pushing to get these exchanges going. Uh, and then also, given that it's a Caitlin Chikagian fight, you're probably going to be listening to a lot of just obnoxious key eyes and, and grunts and... That, that in and of itself is annoying as, as it is. But as far as I see this fight going, Chukagan 
doesn't always go to the ground when she does. It's not as though she's like a major sub submission threat. She's a solid grappler, but if, if this fight does go to the ground and Shevchenko's the one who brings it there, I just see Shevchenko being fine and not getting caught in anything and being able to, to win the rounds when she's on top. Don't know that I see Chukagian being able to get Shevchenko down, and then while this is on the feet, uh, it, it can be a lot of uh, a really long game of chicken in terms of the two of them trying to figure out who's going to throw first and who's going to counter who. Um, but as far as picks go, the odds here are just gigantic in favor of Shevchenko. It's minus 1,200 for Shevchenko versus plus 750 for Chukagian. I, I, I just... I, I guess if it is a really bad fight on the feet where both of them are kind of backing up and no one's picking their spot, then at that point it's not going to take much to steal a round if you're, you're getting like 10 strikes or less per round, which in some cases will happen with the Shevchenko fight. Uh, so if that's the case, you know, maybe that's Chikagin's route to victory. Just do nothing, do nothing, do nothing, and then kind of like explode and like try something at the end of each round and maybe you, you steal the rounds in the judge's mind. But if they're actually going to go out there and try to finish each other and try to like cause damage or get the fight into a position where they can get to a finish. The advantage there would have to be Shevchenko. Uh, for Chikagin, I think her way of winning is pretty much just going to be to to make it a really boring fight and then do just enough to steal enough rounds in the judges' scorecards. Right before that, it's a fight that's pretty surprising to see in the middle of a, a big UFC pay-review with two title fights on top of it, but we've got Juan Adams, who I believe is coming off that loss to Greg Hardy, versus Justin Tapa, who is and 3-1. Uh, so you got a 5-2 and two heavyweight versus a 3-1 and one heavyweight. Um, don't know a ton about both of them. I know Juan Adams, like, I, I got to learn a little bit more about him when he was fighting Greg Hardy, so he's a guy who has a decent wrestling background, although when you watch that Greg Hardy fight, you really wouldn't believe that. Uh, Tapa, I think, is more of a striker. Uh, I don't know that he has, like, a great striking background, but he's, he, he, he tends to like to fight in that, um, in that area. Uh, then we got Mirsad Bektik versus Dan Ige. For Ige, it's a really big opportunity. He's looked really good, um, up to this point in the UFC. Set a lot of really nice finishes. Um, Bektik's one of those guys who, surprisingly, is 13-2. Because it feels like for a while he's been one of those guys where people have been pointing to him as a guy who could be a future champion. And it just really hasn't gotten together for him, especially at the top of the division. Uh, so I guess I would have assumed he had more than two losses at this point. I know he had the loss to Elkins. I don't remember who the other loss was to. Um, but for him, I guess, maybe it's a lack of activity that's been an issue for him as well. But if he can get a win over Ige here, that'll definitely help him out and you would think for him if he gets a win over Ige, he's probably going to be given a ranked fighter next, and he, he can sort of start to work his way back up again, but it seems like ever since that loss to Darren Elkins, um, Bektik went from this guy that a lot of people were looking at as a future champion to just being a guy who's been forgotten about, and this is going to be a good opportunity for him to get some momentum going and sort of get back to where he was before that um, third-round loss where he was winning most of the fight up until then. And then the first fight on the card, um, with this being in Texas, you figured you have to get this guy on the card. You got Derek Lewis. Um, who's going to be fighting Larry Latifi, so it's sort of weird that you have two heavyweight fights on the card and they're starting off with Louis Latifi rather than starting off with Adam Stapa. Um, but it's not like that makes a difference in pay or anything. And it, it, They're both on the pay-per-view, so I guess not that big of a deal, but it seems kind of odd nevertheless. Um, but as far as how this fight's going to go, if you look at the odds, it's minus 270 for Lewis, um, and then coming back is plus 220 for Latifi. What's interesting to me here is that both of these fighters tend to gas a lot, and if you're picking against either of them, you, part of your pick is probably going to be thinking, well, after the first round, they're going to look like this. So you, if you're picking against Lewis, you'd be thinking, well, after the first round, he's going to be exhausted from having to wrestle with Latifi, and that's when Latifi's going to turn it on him. Uh, and then the other way to look at it would be that Latifi's gotten gasped in uh, recent fights as well. Um, so after a couple hard takedown attempts, or maybe he takes him down, and then Lewis is able to get back up to his feet, he'll be exhausted, and by then he won't be able to take Lewis down, and Lewis will pick him apart. 
Uh, Lewis is definitely going to have the range advantage here. Um, as far as how I see it going, it, it, it's just really a matter of how you think that first round is going to go. Latifi should be able to take down Lewis. Uh, I would imagine that he'll be able to, to crowd him and get him up against the fence at some point and get the takedown. I guess the question there is going to become, what's he going to be able to do from top? Is he going to be able to land significant ground and pound? Is he going to take him down and then Lewis will get right back up um, when he's on top? How much energy is Lewis going to have to use to get back up? Um, is moving up to heavyweight going to help out with Latifi and his gas tank problems from the past? So I, I think there are a lot of questions there. It's just to me, if I have to pick it, Yes, Latifi has enough power in his hands where he could knock out Lewis if he landed. But I think if Latifi is going to be successful, he's probably going to be able to take Lewis down. But I don't think he's going to be able to get to a point where he's finishing Lewis on the ground. And if that's the case, even though Lewis will probably be tired in the later rounds, uh, I would imagine Latifi would be too. And I think at that point, Lewis can definitely come back. And that's assuming what I think would be a best-case scenario for Latifi, where he actually is successful in taking him down early. Um, but if he's not, then that's even worse for him. And you, you definitely have to give the edge to Lewis at that point. As far as the prelims go, we've got Trevin Giles versus Antonio Arroyo. we got Lauren Murphy versus Andrea Lee, so big opportunity for Lee to get back in the win column after a tough loss at 125. we got Alex Morono versus Kalen Williams. Miles Johns versus Mario Batista. And then the early prelims, we have Domingo Pilarte versus Journey Newsom, Andre Ewell versus Jonathan Martinez, and Yusuf Zalal versus Austin Lingo. So not a ton of names that I'm really familiar with, but... Some decent records tied to pretty much all these guys, so for them, uh, it'll be a good opportunity with pretty decent exposure to, to get a win and start to work their way up in their UFC careers and start earning some better opportunities for themselves. Next thing to talk about is going to be Stephen A. Smith and Joe Rogan. On the last podcast, I talked about that, and I had some clips in there. I think that particular segment I did on that one is probably going to be the main one that I have in terms of talking about this, because that's the one where I think I went in the most depth. Um, I, I did say during that time, though, that I hadn't yet heard Joe Rogan's response in the Frankie Edgar podcast, so I wanted to see that before I moved on. Uh, and for the most part, just kind of Joe Rogan reasserting what he'd already said, uh, where he was just saying that he felt like Stephen A. Smith wasn't, um, it, what he was doing wasn't a good look for him, it wasn't a good look for ESPN, that's, that's just how he felt about it, he just didn't feel as though Stephen A. should have been talking about the stuff he was talking about. I don't agree with him. I think, I think a lot of people are split on this. I, I think a lot of people who are upset with Stephen A. Smith are largely upset because of his take. Again, like I've said before, if Stephen A. Smith had a take that was just like, oh yeah, Cowboy's great, but Connor just showed how great he was by beating him, then no one would, really, no one would have cared. Uh, but it's because he was critical of a fighter that people were like, okay, now I'm upset that Stephen A. Smith is talking about it. Like, if, if Stephen A. Smith with the exact same experience, exact same knowledge level he has, gives like a milquetoast take uh, that doesn't offend anybody, I don't think anyone's like, hey, why is Stephen A. Smith on the desk? But it's because he took a hot take, he took a take that was critical of a well-liked fighter that people felt like they really wanted to start pointing at him and saying, hey, look at your lack of experience. Um, so, as I've said before, my, my take on this was like, look, I don't really agree with what Stephen A. is saying, but I don't mind that he's there saying it. And with that being said, I also think that he's a, a really big star in the world of sports media. And if he wants to cover MMA, that's great. It's a actually a good thing. So, even though I don't like his take, I think him being around and him t having takes is, is beneficial. Um, and as this has gone on between him and Joe Rogan and then also, also a lot of other MMA media people commenting on it, uh, I feel like my takeaway on it is still pretty much the same thing, where it's like, do I agree with Stephen A. Smith's take? No. Am I happy that he was there to do it? Yes. Um, so I, I guess for the most part, I leave it at that. I, I know some, some MMA media people are pretty upset, and it seems as though there's a bit of jealousy uh, in terms of what they're saying, where it seems like they're annoyed that he was even given that opportunity to, to talk about the sport despite his lack of time in MMA and in covering MMA, but it's not 
the, the job on the desk isn't there for whoever's worked the longest, whoever that thinks they've worked the hardest. It's there for who's going to be the most entertaining and what's best for ratings. And by all accounts, it seems that the ratings were good for that Conor McGregor fight. So don't see why you could really be mad from that aspect. Next thing to talk about is going to be college wrestling. So we have the Iowa versus Penn State duel. And this was... It was a fantastic duel. So I guess I'll just recap it match by match and just kind of tell the story as the duel unfolded. So it started at 125. So Iowa had Spencer Lee, who's number one in the nation, two-time national champion, um, both years. Um, so he's a freshman, national champion, sophomore, national champion. He's a junior now, and most expect him to be a national champion again. He went against Brandon Meredith of Penn State, who may or may not be at a level where he's even going to qualify for nationals for, for Penn State, which could be an issue for them. Um, so everyone expected essentially to, to get a bonus point win here. The question was going to be, was he going to be able to pin him or did he have to go to like a tech ball or a major? And it ended up being a tech ball. He, he looked for the pin early, but Meredith was able to get his shoulders off the mat and avoid that. So in the end, I will only get five points there. So they can start with a five, nothing lead. Next match is number two in the nation, Austin DeSanto from Iowa versus number four in the nation, Roman Bravo Young from Penn State. These guys had a couple matches last year. Austin DeSanto won both of them. Uh, in the last match that they had, Roman Bravo Young was um, being a little bit more defensive and actually had a pretty solid third period. Uh, so it was a bit closer the second time than it was the first. Uh, but with that being said, I think most people, having seen the, the past matches between the two, assume that DeSanto would get the win here as well, especially in Carver Hawk Arena in Iowa. You'd figure that a lot of what uh, RBY was getting away with wouldn't really fly when you have the fans just constantly yelling at the refs to, to call stalling. And what I'm referring to is Roman Bravo Young would take his left hand and just kind of hide it behind his back. Uh, to keep it, to keep him having his tricep grab, which would then be a setup for uh, usually like a high crotch, within, which would then oftentimes be finished with a um, with a fireman's carry or like a dump off of the fireman's position. Um, so RBY would kind of get into this defensive position, and it, it would really stifle a lot of offense. But he wouldn't be really offensive off of it either. So you you figure that that would make things tough for him. But match starts right away. Austin Santo gets in on a shot as Roman Bravo Young is defending. Uh, he goes to put DeSanto in a cradle, and during the first attempt at that, it looks as though some sort of sprain um, occurred on Austin DeSanto's knee, uh, so he kind of cries out in, in pain. Um, they stop it, go to an injury timeout. It looks as though DeSanto's probably done at that point. His coaches are yelling at him to continue on, though, keep going, keep going. Uh, so he goes back out there. Uh, soon after, gets caught in that same position, um, yells out again, and at that time decides to take an injury default while his coaches are yelling at him. Um, after the first one, though, when the Iowa coaches went on to the map, they ended up getting a team point taken away. So rather than being a 5 nothing at that point, it then became a 4 nothing lead. And then once the injury default came in, it then became a 6-4 um, to four lead for Penn State. So had Iowa gotten the win there, um, it's probably a, they're, they're going plus 3 on that. Um, instead, they go minus 7 because um, you have the 6 points that RBY's win got them, got Penn State, plus the 1 point for the team point. So it just made a huge difference in the duel, at least at that point. Uh, so all of a sudden, Penn State's up 6-4. to four. Next match happens, and we've got Nick Lee versus Carter Happel. Um, so Nick Lee is from Penn State, arguably the number one guy in the nation right now, although he still has to get through, Nick, or get through Luke Fletcher of Ohio State to prove that. Um, and then Carter Happel is the backup for Iowa. Uh, their starter, Max Mirren, has been ranked as high as third, uh, but he's also been wrestling with a, a big sleeve on his shoulder and also a sleeve on his arm. Um, throughout the entire year, so it looks as though the injuries have been bothering him of late, so they, they kept him out of the last couple of duels, including this one. Uh, so we didn't get to see the Murin versus Lee match that I think a lot of people wanted to see. Um, and Lee was able to just kind of run through Carter Happel and tag him, so at that point it's 11-4 to for Penn State. Moving on to 149, 
you have Pat Lugo for Iowa versus Jared Verclaren from Penn State. And Lugo uh, gets a solid win here, but just a 6-1 to one win. Um, so then Iowa scores three points there. It's 11-7 at that point. And then the first, last match before the intermission, you have at 157 between Caleb Young, who is, I believe, number four right now for Iowa. And then you had um, Bill Piper for Penn State. It's not clear whether or not Brady Berger, Brady Berge is coming back for Penn State. He's a guy who's probably going to be in that All-American range if he does come back, but he's been injured. Um, but he wasn't there at this weight, so they ran out Bill Piper instead. And Caleb Young was able to get just a regular decision win over him. Uh, making the score 11 to 10 at halftime, so they come back from the break. They come back at 165 with the number one wrestler in the nation, Vincenzo Joseph from Penn State, versus the number two wrestler, and Alex Marinelli from Iowa. Marinelli was two and zero up to this point against Vincenzo Joseph, and both matches had pretty much been determined on sort of like an upper body, um, body lock position where Marinelli had won that position a couple times and put Joseph on his back. Uh, this time, Joseph was able to win that type of position and hit a lateral drop on. Um, Alex Marinelli uh, got some back exposure points, was able to get a big lead from there. Marinelli was able to put him on his back, though, uh, right as the second period ended, but not long enough to get any back points back. So even though they sort of traded similar moves, um, Vincenzo got a lot more points for his than Marinelli did for his. Uh, and ultimately, that lead was enough for Vincenzo Joseph to hang on to, and he was able to get the win here. At 174, uh, with Iowa at this point down 14-10, to 10, and needing to start to pick up some wins, probably three of the last four for them to win this duel, they have Mike, Michael Kemmerer, who was number two at 157 a couple of years ago, uh, moves up two weight classes, and most expected him to be a solid number two or number three guy, but they never thought he could be number one. The number one guy is Mark Hall. Uh, Kemmerer was number three heading into this match, and man, did Kemmerer look good. Like He he looked really good for the for much of the match. Uh, was able to score first, uh, getting the first takedown. Um, had a nice little reversal after he got taken down. Uh, and then as the match wore on, he was able to score a few more takedowns. I think he had three takedowns in total, but the match score, I believe, was 11-6. to six. Uh, So he gets the win over Mark Hall, and as a result is also going to be the number one wrestler in the nation when the new rankings come out. At 184, uh, with this being a one-point duel again, 14-13 uh, at this point, you have a couple of, fresh, a couple of freshmen. Uh, you got Aaron Brooks from Penn State and then Abe Asad from Iowa. At this point, I think Asad was ranked number 8 and Brooks was ranked number 10. Asado had a win over Taylor Venz of Nebraska, who had beaten Aaron Brooks, so he figured, okay, well, had we not known what these guys were doing this year, you'd probably give the edge to Aaron Brooks. Uh, but Abe Asad's had a pretty good month or a pretty good couple of months, so you know what, maybe he's able to, to pull it off here. But after going for a headlock attempt early, um, ends up giving, the, giving up the first takedown and really wasn't close to taking down Aaron Brooks again. Got taken down a couple times as well, so he ends up losing by a score of 7-3, to three, and again, Penn State's up by 4. And this time there's two matches left to go at 197 and 285. So at this point, if Penn State wins another match, they're gonna even if they just win by regular decision at 197, they're gonna be up seven points. And Iowa can't score seven points in a single match; they can only get six for a pin. Uh, so this match between Shakur Rashid, uh, who was number two in the nation at 184 last year at one point, although he wasn't wrestling for much of the season, and a lot of that was based off of his success from a couple of years ago that gave him that seeding. Um, but he was wrestling for Penn State at 197. Going up against Jacob Warren from Illinois, or from uh, well, he, he's from Illinois, but he's on Iowa, obviously. And Warner, though he's been a little inconsistent at times, was was able to score an early takedown here. Uh, was very successful at riding on top and was able to do enough here to get a four to two win, uh, making the match score then seventeen to sixteen for for Penn State. Um, so then they go to the final match. That's at heavyweight Anthony Cassiope for Iowa versus Seth Nevels for Penn State. 
Neville's has had a pretty good year so far. I think he was undefeated up to this point after taking over for Anthony Cassiope, who got injured, or not Anthony Cassiope, Anthony Cassar, who got injured um, during the senior nationals. And after a really good scramble early on, he looked as though Neville's was about to take down Cassiope and start off with a 2 nothing lead, but Cassiope was somehow able to escape the takedown, get his own takedown. And then from there, it was really successful riding from top and was able to dominate much for the rest of the match and got the win here. So Iowa ends up winning by a score of 19-17. Had the lead after the first match, um, but after the second match, they didn't have the lead and they never got the lead back until the final match. Uh, so really exciting meet. It was really cool to watch uh, as all the fans went crazy for a wrestling meet they had. I think officially the number was 14,900, but however, however many people they could pack into Carver Hawkeye, they did. And it was really cool to see all that excitement around a college wrestling meet. Next thing to talk about is going to be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So we have Kasai. Uh, they just had a show yesterday in Texas. Um, so for the super fights there, the, the big one they had was Dante Leon versus Hinaldo Canuto. So Dante just won Nogi Worlds. And Canuto has been a guy who's been hanging around the top for a while. He's been very successful in Kasai. Um, but also had an awesome match with Gary Tonin at ADCC pretty recently. Um, but Leon won this match on points by a score of 5-4. to four. But the big attraction here was the heavyweight tournament. Uh, a lot of big names in here. So in the first round, uh, you had Roberto Cyborg versus Bruno Bastos. Uh, Cyborg won that match by a score of 2 to nothing. You had Vinny Magalhaes versus Nick Rodriguez, which was a really interesting match. And though it ended, ended in a draw, 0-0, um, zero to zero, Rodriguez was looking like he was pretty close to taking Vinny's back at the end there, which is pretty crazy, uh, given how good Vinny is. And even though Nick's done a lot of great things, he, he's still a pretty inexperienced in jiu-jitsu. So really good performance from him there. We had Kyle Bain versus Joel Gabriel Hocha. Uh, Bain was able to get a heel, a heel hook in that match. And then Lucas Barbosa won a match uh, by the score of 4-0 against Paulo Azambuja. Uh, in the second round, we had a rematch of Cyborg Abreu versus Nick Rodriguez. Um, that match at ADCC went to a judge's decision. Re- refs gave it to Nick Rodriguez, and Cyborg proceeded to just absolutely lose it and not be nearly as classy as he likes to call out other people for not being. Um, but this match ends up going to a draw as well, but since there's no ref decisions, it was just scored as a draw. So another draw for Nick Rodriguez. Then we have Bruno Bastos winning by injury default against Vinny Magalhaes, who was not able to continue after that first match with Nick Rodriguez. I think he's been dealing with injuries for a while as well. Uh, we had Joel Gabriel Hocha versus Paulo Azambuja. Um, Hocha was able to win by Anaconda Choke. And then um, Lucas Barbosa was able to beat Kyle Lane by a score of 4 to nothing. Uh, so in the third round, they had Nick Rodriguez versus Bruno Bastos. Really surprising here. Rodriguez, he, he definitely has tapped black belts before, but oftentimes it's when he gets to their back and just kind of like chokes through their face and just has like a, a vicious squeeze here. Um, but in this match, he actually won with the joint lock, and that was a heel hook. So granted, given that he's been training with the Don or Dad squad, it, it's not the craziest thing to assume that he knows how to how to fight from there, but for him to beat a, a long-term black belt like Bruno Bastos by a submission other than like cranking on their face... It's pretty impressive. Um, Cyborg also won by injury default over Vinny Magalhaes, so unfortunately for Rodriguez, he he drew with Vinny Magalhaes and only got one point from that, whereas everyone else who had Vinny um, instantly got the injury default win, including Cyborg, and that really helped him out a lot because it ended up pushing him into the finals. Um, Kyle Bain won on a penalty against Paulo Azambuja, and then um, Lucas Barbosa beat Joel Gabriel Hocha, who was pretty injured at, at that point. Uh, so in the third place match, we had Nick Rodriguez versus Kyle Bain. Rodriguez won that by a score of 5 to nothing. And in the final, um, Cyborg Bray was able to beat Lucas Barbosa by a score of 6 to nothing. Uh, a few other matches were on there too, but I don't know that any of them were 
that um, are, are that big. There were some some decent names in there, like Rafael Formigo was in there and beat Rafael Lang by a score five to nothing. We had Cody Steele, uh, who's been looking really good. I don't know if he's gotten his black belt quite yet, but he's been really dominant as a brown belt at least. Uh, but he was able to get a win as well. So some other pretty big names there. They had Andrew Tackett, who's a highly skilled juvenile blue belt, one of those guys where once he turns 18, you'd expect to see a lot from him. Uh, so pretty decent card top to bottom. Um, but I, I guess the big takeaway would be that Cyborg Bray was able to win the heavyweight Grand Prix in, in large part to Vinny Magalhaes um, being injured so early on. Last thing to talk about is going to be Bellator and them potentially bringing in the Paul brothers. So a, a couple different ways to look at this. Um, for one, it, it seems as though the Paul brothers and their YouTube following and I guess the other people who they've been fighting and their YouTube following, it, it seems as though everyone's been pretty happy in how that's worked out, where DAZN's pretty happy in terms of the money they're bringing in for those fights. Uh, it seems as though those guys are happy with the money they're able to bring in for the fights. Um, they don't seem to mind all the work and all the all, all the emotions that come into fighting. It, it's definitely not an easy way to make money. E even if you can kind of get it once, maybe like get one big fight where you make one big sum of money, every time you go out there, win, lose... I, I mean, there, there's a lot of bad things that can definitely happen to you in terms of injury, in terms of how you're perceived. If you have, like, especially if you're kind of, like, in that YouTube world, if you have, like, a gif of you getting knocked out on, like, is that going to is that gonna work against you? So I can, I can see why a lot of a lot of people wouldn't be so into the celebrity boxing type of thing, but for whatever reason, it's really worked out for them. And now they're getting interested in going into MMA. So it, it seems as though Bellator is interested in them. They're looking to bring them in. As far as whether or not this kind of qualifies as, like, a freak show or not, Given the fact that they actually have been spending some time training boxing, and I think both of them, I know for sure Logan, I don't know about Jake, um, but I'm pretty sure both of them have pretty good wrestling backgrounds as well. From a skill standpoint, are they going to be up to the level of what we're used to seeing on a main card at, at a Bellator event usually? No. But they're, they're definitely going to be a lot further along than someone like CM Punk. Uh, it's probably not going to look like... I, I mean, I've had to watch amateur MMA at, at times as well. Like I can't imagine that their matches are going to look a whole lot worse than what I've seen there. So, At least from... A quality standpoint in the cage, I don't think it's going to be terrible. Uh, but from a promotional standpoint, if they're able to bring in a lot of money, uh, especially for Bellator, then I don't see any issue with that. And it sounds like um, Bellator may be interested in bringing in, in having some of their sort of semi-celebrity fighters, guys like Dylan Danis um, or AJ Agazar, they might be interested in having them um, fight some of those guys, whether it's the Paul Brothers themselves or if they're fighting someone else who's kind of got a name and a following on YouTube. So if that means more exposure for someone like that, that can be a good thing as well. So while I can understand why some people look at them like, oh gosh, I just want to, I, I just want to see the regular guys come in. I want to see the guys who've actually earned it, the guys who've actually like started it from nothing, gone to the gym, worked their way up the ladder, and have earned a spot in Bellator. Those are the guys I want to see given the opportunities. Not not some guy who's just famous off of YouTube. While I get why some people complain about that, at the end of the day, as I always say, professional sports is professional entertainment. Sports is a subset of the of the entertainment industry fighter pay is largely based on what a fighter is able to bring in for the for the company as a whole if you're not raising revenues by you being on the car then how can you expect a, a giant chunk of money to be thrown at you because uh, where the, where's that money coming from so if Bellator is going to bring in some guys who who have big names from elsewhere uh, who can fight at a decent level at least like at a at a decent amateur level I, I don't see the problem with it am I going to go out of my way to watch them no but I haven't caught on my way to, to watch those guys in in their boxing matches either um, but if it does mean that's going to bring new eyes to the sport, can't say I have an issue with it. So I guess I'll leave it at that. Uh, that'll cover it for this week.
Uh, next week, or the next podcast will be on Sunday again, so we'll be back to our regular schedule, so that'll be number 43. Um, again, in the meantime, as I mentioned before, sometimes things just come up, whether I'm traveling or there's something else where I have to record on a bit of a different schedule, like what happened last week. Uh, with that being the case, sometimes it's nice to, to just have a subscription to, to the podcast from an audio standpoint, and then you just have it automatically downloaded whenever it comes in. So usually be, usually it'll be Sunday, but if it's a little off schedule, you'll get the download without having to look it up. Um, also, if you subscribe on YouTube or BitChute, um, or if you click on the notification bell, that can also help with that as well. So thanks for listening. I'll be back next week, and maybe we're going to have some new champions to talk about. I can't imagine that we're going to, but it's always a possibility. So I'll, I'll recap that and preview the card that come, that's coming ahead on the 15th as well.